This morning, my title, continuing in our Heart Health series, title this morning is, What is Your Resting Heart Rate? And it's kind of a play on words, your resting heart rate, because I want to talk about the spiritual rest that God wants to bring us into. Um, this morning, I'm going to talk about two movies that so clearly illustrate our passage today from Hebrews 4. Jesus used stories to illustrate, illustrate truth, and that's why God has given us art and talented movie makers and screenwriters and artists, and it's because it's all part of his story. And so truth can be found anywhere, and it all points to the truth with a capital T, Jesus Christ. And so um, I want to start with a movie that I just watched. I'm talking about two movies today. One was this adorable, quirky, funny movie that Robin's brother-in-law, Tim, made. <laughs> and he gave us a copy of it at the wedding. It's called The Emissary. And you can look it up. But basically, the plot it goes like this. In the movie, um, there's this scientist named Tim. And he's... Now, remember, I've been talking about heartfulness versus mindfulness, right? And, and we, in, the, in the world, we talk a lot about the importance of mindfulness, but what about heartfulness? And so in the movie, Tim is, he's this engineer slash scientist, but he's very interested in mindfulness. And so he's trying to get his buddies to join him in these sunset awareness walks where they walk through the woods and they concentrate on mindfulness and being in the present and being mindful of everything that your five senses are taking in. So they're breathing in the air. They're listening to the sounds of nature. They're feeling the cool evening air. And, and it's beautiful. I mean, I love that stuff. I love nature. I'm, I, it's so true. We need to learn how to be mindful of where we are and, and, and give attention to the present. We need to just stop and take in what God has created and enjoy that. And, and it was great. It was beautiful. And so he's getting his buddies, and they're a little reluctant, you know. And he's trying to get them excited about this mindfulness thing and these sunset awareness walks. Well, on their sunset awareness walk, they meet this alien. And he's a human, but he lives in a colony somewhere else in the solar system. And he has come to let them know that there's this uh, bomb. It's, it's actually like a worn-out generator, but it's like a ticking time bomb. And it's going to soon go off, and the explosion is going to be large enough to decimate the peninsula where they live in Wisconsin. So they find this out on their mindfulness walk, right? They're, they're, and they're trying to be all at peace and in the present. So this alien says to them, he says, I, I've, I've got these sensors in my body that I can detect where this thing is, and I can lead you to it, and we're going to find this bomb and detonate it, right? And we're going to save the peninsula, the, the Door County Peninsula of Wisconsin. So <laughs> this alien, this guy, he's a Polish human being, but he's an alien. He's, he's uh, leading them to this bomb, but on the way... He wants to stop for ice cream. He wants to stop and ride the go-karts. And he wants to stop and play mini golf. And at each stop, each excursion, 
Tim is like freaking out. He's like, well, this bomb's going to go off. All of a sudden, his, his, sun's, his sunset awareness walk has now turned into this, he's, he's in full-on freak-out mode, right? I mean, he's, he's no longer in the present. He is suddenly in the future, thinking about my entire peninsula is about to be decimated, and this stupid alien doesn't care. He's making us go out for ice cream. And, and the alien at one point looks at it and says, mindfulness, awareness. Don't you want us to be in the present? Relax, we've got time. We'll get there. And so poor Tim realizes this whole philosophy is turned on its head. And he's, he's, he's like he's being hit with this whole idea. Like now it's confronting him. Like, oh, I've got to eat my words now, right? Like I've got to practice what I preach. And it, it begs the question, is mindfulness really enough? I mean, it's good. And yes, we should live in the present. Yes, we should concentrate on relaxing and being fully aware of where we are in the present. But at some point, things are going to happen in our lives that are beyond our control. And we will find out there is a ticking time bomb about to go off. There are things that are going to happen and have happened and do happen to you and to me that are beyond our control. And all of a sudden, this mindfulness isn't going to work. And that's where we have to pay attention to our heart. We have to pay attention to our heart. And today I'm talking about our resting heart rate. Because there's, there's this spiritual resting heart rate that the Lord wants us to have when things happen that are beyond our control. Or when we have an ongoing circumstance or situation that we're clueless, that are, that's way too, all of us, all of us have something probably in our lives that is way too big for you and me to handle, each of us. Way too big to handle. You can do all the self-awareness walks, all the mindfulness walks that you want, and still at the end of the day, it's way too big, and our resting heart rate more often than not says, boom, 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 I am out of control, this is out of control, and I don't know what to do. And we're not in a state of the spiritual rest that God wants us to bring us into. So let's turn to Hebrews 4. It's amazing when, during our worship time, someone goes directly to the very passage I'm preaching on, Gene. <laughs> I did not consult with her. I didn't tell her what I was preaching on today. But she spoke straight from the passage, Hebrews 4. So let's get back up to Hebrews 3, verse 7. The writer of Hebrews is quoting from Psalm 95 here. And Hebrews 3, 7 says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, notice, just take note, he is attributing the words from the Psalms, an Old Testament passage, to the Holy Spirit. He is acknowledging that stuff was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me and tried me, 
and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our confidence, steadfast to the end. For who, having rebelled, indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? I skip verse 15. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Verse 17 says, now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Last week, I talked about hardness of heart, and I talked about how so often we hear this phrase, hardness of heart, deceitfulness of sin, unbelief, and it's so easy to attribute that to people who are in conscious disobedience, right? And, and I talked about how, honestly, that's not, this is, that's not who this is directed to. This is directed to those who came out of Egypt. I mean, this is directed to believers, and, and the warning here is make sure you don't have this hardness of heart that results in unbelief, causing you to not enter into this place that God has for you called rest. See, just background, if you're not real familiar with it, Moses was the leader God chose to lead the Israelites out of Egypt where they had been enslaved for 400 years, and he led them through the wilderness, the Sinai Desert. Should have been a short trip, but because they were complaining and arguing and not at rest, they refused to trust God to provide for them and protect them. They refused because of the hardness of their heart. It ended up being a 40-year journey that didn't have to take that long. And so... Finally, Joshua took them out into the promised land. The promised land is it's, it's, it's in two layers of truth. It is not limited to just this very shallow interpretation of heaven. Yes, heaven is the promised land, but that's not all. If your whole goal in salvation is, well, I've got my ticket to heaven, I can kick back and be glad knowing I'm saved and I'm going to make it to heaven, well... You've missed a rest that God has for you. You have entirely missed the place that God wants you to live while you're here on this earth. There's this place that you can enter. And so in the Old Testament, when Joshua, Moses' successor, led the Israelites into Canaan, into the promised land, that was a foreshadow for us. It for, and it was a place of plenty, abundance. It foreshadowed this place that God, this spiritual place that God has for you and me. He wants to bring us into this place. And here in this passage, he calls it rest. It's a soul rest. 
It is a soul rest. And so the message here, and Jean read the verse, let's be very, very careful that we don't do the same thing they did. A lot of them died in the wilderness, never made it into that place of rest because they refused to trust because of hardness of heart. Let's be very, very careful that we don't make the same mistake they did. So just want to go back, now that I've explained the background, go back to verse 8 of chapter 3. If you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Again, this hardness of heart is for you and me. It's a warning that we keep a soft heart because a soft and tender heart toward the Lord is also a humble heart that says, I'm going to humble myself enough to not try to control this anymore. I'm going to give it to you, Lord. I'm going to surrender this to you. Don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion, the day of trial in the wilderness. And it's interesting that verse 9 says, where your fathers tested me and tried me. Usually we talk about, oh, I'm being tested. God's putting me through a test. I'm being, my faith is being tested. Yes, that can be true. There's scripture for that. But this says, they tested me. Your fathers tested me. This is God talking. They put me to the test. You know how they did that? They grumbled and complained the whole way and still expected God to bring them into that place of rest. They put him to the test. The message here is don't do that. Don't make that mistake. So they tested me and tried me. They saw my works 40 years. In other words, they saw what I was capable of. They saw me rain manna from heaven. They saw that their shoes never wore out. They saw me shield them from the sun by day. And, and with a pillar of fire by night, I kept them warm in the desert. I led them the whole entire way. I provided for them. I even gave them quail when they begged for it. They saw my works for 40 years and they still complained and flipped out, and lost it, and freaked out. They tested me. They put me to the test. Don't make that mistake. That's the message here. But there's grace. It's coming. <laughs> this is a warning. They always go astray in their heart. Go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Now, this is a key. They've not known my ways, because in, in Psalm 103.7, it says this, Psalm 103.7 says, the people, God's people, the Israelites, they, they knew God's acts, but Moses knew his ways. See, we, too many of us in the church are content to simply know God's acts. What's he going to do for me? What's he going to do now? I need him to fix this. Need you to fix it right now. Yesterday would be great. Moses was called a friend of God. He knew God face to face because he knew God's ways. Don't you know? Look, don't we know that the people we're closest to, we know more than their actions. We know their ways. We know the ways about them that are behind their actions. Moses knew God's ways, but this is saying they have not known my ways. They weren't interested in knowing God's ways. They didn't care to know God's heart to hear his voice whispering in those quiet times. They only wanted his acts. So the punishment, the, the, the 
consequence that they brought on themselves was that they could not enter this place of rest. And there's this warning, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Verse 16, let's go down to verse 18. To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now I have an arrow, a little loop with two arrows connecting that word obey in verse 18 with that word unbelief in verse 19. They could not enter in because of unbelief. They did not obey. You see, once again, unbelief is disobedience. Disobedience is unbelief, is disobedience, is unbelief, is disobedience. I want to get this. I want to get this. I want to, I want to really get this. I want to understand in my heart of hearts that when I fail to trust God, I'll say this, when I refuse to trust God, it's disobedience. You want to know? You want to know why? Flip over and check out chapter 4, verse 6. This is how he puts it in the next chapter. Since, therefore, it remains that some must enter it. In other words, some of you need to come into a place of rest, some of us. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of what? But in the previous chapter, in verse 19, he used the word unbelief. What's he doing? He's saying the same exact thing. Disobedience is unbelief, is disobedience is unbelief. This is a hard pill to swallow. It's a hard message. I don't like hearing that my refusal, my inability to trust God, my freak outness is actually hardness of heart and disobedience. I don't like hearing that. But it's truth. <laughs> it's God's words, not mine. So there's this wonderful promise, though, that there's this place of rest that he can carry you and I into and change our stony hardness of heart and strengthen our heart so that we have a healthy resting heart rate. Did you know athletes, you probably know this, probably some of you in here have a pretty low resting heart rate, like 30 or 40 beats per minute. I betcha. It's because... The harder you work your heart, the stronger it becomes so that it doesn't have to beat as much when you're resting. Let's look at that. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Let me ask you this morning. I'm right here with you. You know this by now. I'm one of you. Same struggles, same temptations, same fears. <laughs> Let me ask you this morning. Have any of us seemed to come short of this place of rest? <laughs> okay, just checking. Lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Verse 2, Hebrews 4, verse 2. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, the Israelites of old. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed 
do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That was the condemnation for those who, ref- who didn't actually want to enter that rest because out of hardness of heart, they refused to surrender. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Look, if God had to rest from his work, why do we think we, why do we think we can keep on striving, whether it's physically or emotionally or mentally, and never need to come into a place of soul rest that God has for us? God's resting was not just to give us some physical Sabbath day, although that is important too. That is a command too. But God's seventh day rest, which he entered into for all of eternity, God's finished with his work of creating. He's finished. He's enjoying the work that he accomplished. He's now enjoying it, and he invites us to enter into that, into the enjoyment of this kingdom that he has brought to earth and inaugurated through the coming of Jesus Christ, and we are now kingdom agents. And we are here to enter into this place of rest so that we too can cease from our work. You know what that work is? Whatever it is that gets you worked up. That's what God wants you to rest from. Whatever it is that gets you worked up. There's a place of rest we can come into. Verse 6 says this, Hebrews 4, 6. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it. Are there any here that must enter this place of rest? Since therefore it remains, remember this is written to believers, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of what? Disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time, As it has been said today, if Wellsburg Community Church, if brothers and sisters, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. In other words, if Joshua had brought them into the people of God into a permanent rest, he would not have spoken of another day. In other words, we get another chance. There's a rest that still remains and is available for you and me today. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of, what? Disobedience. Now, this is where we get the the understanding, the concept of a resting heart rate. It's a paradox in verse 11. Let us be diligent to enter that rest. It's a paradox. Some translations say, let us work very hard to enter that rest. It sounds like a contradiction, but if you look at sports... If you look at fitness, it's not a contradiction. You have to work hard to achieve a slower heartbeat per minute. A good resting heart rate comes from working your heart. So what's this 
diligence. What's this work that we're supposed to do? You want to know what it is? That's where you take your time out every day. You carve out that time and you get on your knees and your work may be crying for a while and pouring out your heart before God and saying, God, I need help. Help me. And that may be the only words you have for a while. I know. That may be all you've got, and you know what? It's okay. We get on our face before God, and we do the work of giving him the burdens. That's work. It's arm day. God, I'm giving you all these burdens I've been carrying around. That's the work. It's a paradox, do you see? We do the work of entering to rest. And if you do that, listen, I promise you, if you do that every single day, you take that time. Oh, I don't have the time. Yes, you do. We all have time for what's important. If you do that every single day and you take that time and you get alone, alone with God, most of my time with God is, is I'm not saying a word. I'm getting quiet. I'm listening. See, that's the mindfulness. It's good. It's not bad. But my heart is engaged. My mind says, okay, God, here I am now. Let's work on my heart. I need you to soften my heart because my heart has become hardened toward you and it's caused me not to trust you. And I'm not in a place of rest. So will you work on this with me? Can we do this together? I'm here for my workout, Lord. Will you strengthen my heart? Make it strong. Bring me into this place of rest so that I can have a healthy, resting heart rate. At all times. Something comes along, it's okay. You'll start to notice you're not freaking out as much anymore. God's got this. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna flip out. I'm I'm at rest. There's a movie that came out this year, uh, 13 Lives. Maybe you remember in 2018, it was in the news. In Thailand, this soccer team of 12 boys and their coach, they go into this cave, they go exploring, they go farther than a mile deep into this cave, and this rainstorm comes and floods the cave, and they're trapped way back into the inner recesses of this cave. It was in the news, so I'm going to tell you a part of the movie, but I don't want to spoil the end because I, I hate when people do that, and I don't want to do that to you. It's a great movie. So I won't tell you whether or not they ended up rescuing everyone, but I will tell you how they did it because it's such an illustration. So these Navy SEALs, they go back there, and, and after, I mean, thousands and thousands of people were involved in this operation. These Navy SEALs, these divers, they go back into this cave, and eventually they finally reach these boys, and they find them way back in this cave, and, <laughs> and they're stranded in the back of this cave, and it ended up, they, they ended up being in there a very long time. I don't want to spoil the movie or if you didn't follow it in the news. But the big question was how to rescue these 12 boys and their soccer coach. Because these very trained, highly experienced divers, some of whom had been trained to dive in caves, 
they themselves had a hard enough time even getting to the boys, and actually one of them died. It was such a difficult feat to even uh, dive to the, back to where these boys were because they're having to go through narrow passageways and sharp corners, and there's stalactites or stalagmites or whatever ites they are, the ones that hang down, and they're having to swim through those, and it's very narrow, and they're knocking their tanks all around, and they've got helmets on. They're getting all bumped up and scraped. It's very dangerous, and they've got to watch their oxygen level. So the big question was, how are they going to get these boys out? Because they know that if these boys panic for a second, they're, they're gonna, something's going to go wrong. They're not going to make it. They're going to possibly kill one of their divers. And so while the parents are out there cheering because they've gotten word that they found the boys, the divers themselves are realizing there's no chance. We're not going to get them out. And they don't know how to tell people. They don't know how to break it to the parents. We're not going to get these. There's, there's no way to get these boys out once you see the difficulty for an experienced diver to even reach them. Well, they had all but given up hope. They had explored all the options. Nothing seemed to work except one of them got this idea. Let's call in our diver who's an anesthesiologist. So they called him and he said, no, that's unethical. It's never going to work. There's no way I'm going to put these boys to sleep and cart them out of that cave. Like, we can't do that. But they realized it was the only way they even had a chance of sparing these boys' lives. So they end up going back there and taking these boys one by one, anesthetizing them, and they had to strap them all. They had to, like, take zip ties and, and ropes and tie them up basically and treat them like a package. They were told, treat it like a package, you know, and give them another shot on the way if they need it. They're going to be, you know, don't let them wake up. The only chance, and I won't tell you what happens at the end, I'm not going to spoil it, but the only chance those boys had of making it out of there and surviving was if they were first put to sleep so that they wouldn't panic in a diving situation for which they had no experience. You know, life is like that cave. Sometimes we don't know where we're going. It's dark and we can't find our way and we crash into things and the way is unclear and sometimes you and I panic because I'm not sure that this experienced diver who's with me is actually going to bring me through this thing alive. I'm just not sure he can actually do it. So I'm just going to panic because, well, what's the reason? I don't trust him. My heart is hardened, and I am refusing to trust this diver. You know those divers? They had to swim on top of their package, and they were wearing a helmet so that if they bumped anything, their heads would get hit first, and they would be protecting the package. That precious life that they were carrying through this cave. But why was there hope that these boys would survive? Because they were at rest. They are at complete and total rest. And you know what? They submitted to it. They submitted to that shot. They submitted to it. 
and they allow themselves to come into complete and total rest so that God, <laughs> so that the divers could carry them through the cave. There remains, therefore, a rest, Hebrews 4.9, for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. There are two areas, two main areas that you and I get worked up about. Two main areas that you and I need to come into rest, and it's probably different for others than, for, maybe it's, maybe it's, some, look, some people get worked up about things on the inside. What is, what is, what do people think about me? Public opinion. What, what gets you worked up on the inside? What gets you in a constant state of unrest? For others, it's more exterior. I have to work so hard to make sure that everybody knows that I am doing my part so that I will not disappoint someone. And you know what's behind that? I'm afraid deep down that I've disappointed God and I want so much to make him like me. And so we work ourselves silly, unnecessarily. I'm not talking about, there's, there's, there's a healthy work, like I was talking about earlier at the beginning, that's coming from a place of, I'm so in love with you, Lord, I can't help but serve because there's joy in it, and yes, even rest in it. See, that's healthy work. That's healthy work. But there's this other very unhealthy place that says, if I keep working hard enough and doing and doing and overdoing, maybe... And it's this endless effort to please when God says, you can't possibly make me love you any more than I already do. It's the message of the cross. So God wants us to enter this place of rest. You know what? I'm speaking from experience. I have been, I know what it's like to be a person who is not living in a place of rest. I have been that person, continually worked up on the inside about <gasps> pleasing, not offending, worrying about what people think. It's a place of unrest. So easily offended or irritated by whatever, trying to fix everything and everybody. <laughs> yes, we have moments, I have moments where I forget and slip back into that. But you know what? I don't stay there. I used to stay there. I used to live there. I used to live there. God has a place of rest. He wants to bring you and me into. It's a soul rest. I want to close with the end of that beautiful chapter from Hebrews 4. God has a soul rest he wants to bring you and me into. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. See, he's already swum through the cave. He knows the route. He knows the way. He actually really can bring you and I through. But we got to rest. We got to be put to sleep. We have to surrender. 
We can trust him. We can trust him. We have a great high priest who has passed through. He has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What is your confession this morning? I want to hear it. Let's hear it. I love you. I trust you. Let's just make your confession. I trust you, Lord. I trust you. I trust you. You are good. You're faithful. You're true. You're loving and kind. And you died for me. How can you not, therefore, freely give me all things? that I need. I trust you. You're carrying me. You're strong. You're capable. You are well able. I surrender. I give my life into your your very capable arms to carry me. This is my confession. This is my confession. You are good. You are faithful. You are good. Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain help, mercy, and find grace to help in time of need. If you need to come into that place of rest, would you bow your heads with me this morning? Here we are, Lord. Lord, we're tired of struggling. Make this your prayer if that's you this morning. Father God, I am tired of struggling. I'm wearing out my heart by not trusting you. And I'm weary. And I thank you that you don't condemn me. You haven't forsaken me. You haven't written me off because of my inability to trust. Oh no, Lord, just like those boys stranded in that cave, you you come to the rescue. Like we sing, I will rescue you. Oh, you weary one. Oh, you struggling one. Oh, you tired, worn out one. I will rescue you. I will rescue you. So Lord, I come to you today And I give you my hands and my arms and my feet. I give you my mind and my body and my soul and my emotions, Lord, every part of me that has struggled and panicked and not allowed you to carry me. I repent. I repent of my disobedience and not allowing you to carry me. I repent. Would you take me, Lord? Would you bring me into that rest? I want to learn. I want to learn by the negative example of those of old who refused to trust you. I want to learn. I want to be different. Would you bring me into that place of rest that you have for me today? I want that permanent place of rest, Lord. I want it as a lifestyle. I want it as a permanent transformation. I'm coming to you today. Bring me into your rest. 
This day, oh God, I will and I do trust you to carry me through the dark. I trust you. I trust you. Help me rest. Put me to rest. Put my mind to rest. Put my heart to rest. I trust you. I trust you. Thank you for forgiving my unbelief. Thank you for softening and tenderizing my heart. Thank you, Lord, that you're gracious and merciful and long-suffering and abounding in kindness. And you've come to rescue me. Thank you. Thank you. You know, those divers, they didn't know those boys. Never met them before. They didn't know a thing about them. They didn't know their names. They did not know them. But they risked their lives to rescue strangers. How much more does your creator, who came and died for you, he gave his life for you, and he knows you by name. He knows every hair of your head. It's numbered, it says. He knows you. How much more does he desire to rescue you and rescue me from ourselves today? He loves to rescue. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. You're so good. Bring us into rest. Bring us into rest. Maybe there's a specific situation you need to come into rest about. Maybe it's very specific. It's that thing that you've been struggling and panicking and writhing. God says it's time to come into rest about that. Give it to me. Come into rest. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. As we are quietly dismissed, I'm just going to invite you to keep, just rest here in this place. Just rest, just sit with the Lord. Enjoy your first entry into a place of rest if that is what God is doing for you today. Just want to keep this as a sacred, holy place where you can just <laughs> enjoy this first step <laughs> into rest. And if you need to, you can be quietly dismissed.